Hello and welcome to Dog Save the People, a podcast about how dogs make our lives better. My name is John Bartlett, and I'm your host. Jenna Blum is a writing teacher and New York Times bestselling author whose latest memoir, Woodrow on the Bench, focuses on her furry soulmate Woodrow, her senior black lab, who would accompany her to a bench in their local Boston park in his final days. As Jenna and Woodrow would post up there, a community came together around them and would keep them company. The memoir is a reflection on how Woodrow initially helped her navigate important milestones and moments in Jenna's personal life and in her professional career, and then left her with the gift of community. Jenna, welcome to Dog Save the People. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. I love being here. Where are we speaking to you from? I am in downtown Boston. Nice. I love Boston. I went to college there, so I've got a real soft spot for Boston. There are a lot of colleges here. We are University Central. I went to BU here for grad school, and they gave me a job, and I never left. It's a great town, and I every time that I visit, I'm reminded of the beauty and the architecture and the history. So, Jenna, where are you from originally? I am from New York and New Jersey, baby. Represent oh, yeah? You. Yep. Don't hold it against me that I'm from Jersey, but I was born Oh, in no, I love, I love a Jersey girl. Thank you. Who does not love a Jersey girl? I yeah. Have right? Yes. Exactly. Born in New York at Mount Sinai and grew up yeah. in Montclair. Yes. Um, in a dog family. We had a big backyard. We had three labs. The first dogs we had were Cocker Spaniels. My mom uh-huh. was partial to Cocker Spaniels, and we had one really beautiful really vicious spaniel named Vivo who used to guard me and get under my crib and then snarl at anybody who got close. And that dog had this super love-hate relationship with my dad so that when Vivo was going to cross the rainbow bridge, my dad said to him very tearfully, goodbye, old boy, and was reaching down to pet him and Vivo bit him. And my dad was like, well, the hell with you. (laughs) And then we had labs, which is what my dad grew up with. And so we made the switch then. And so ever since I was about I want to say 10 years old, I grew up in a house that was bounding with giant labs. I grew up with black labs in Ohio. And the first lab who died when I was a toddler, Brandy would sleep under my sister's cribs. My sister's two years older than me. That was where they would always find her. And there's just something about black labs. And so I had three growing up sequentially, and they were all so different and just fabulous, fabulous dogs. The labs are all different. When I was growing up, I had an assortment pack. We had two black labs and a yellow lab in my Mm. house in New Jersey, each one with a vastly different personality. One was elegant. One was really dumb, but sweet. And the third was like a horse who used to pick up lamps and charge people with them. So there was that. (laughs) Woodrow was very sophisticated. And Henry, my dog now, is just a lover. He just wants to love on everybody. And he's just so sweet and so smart. And they're just a joy, right? That's the common denominator is that they are just a joy. They are. And I found on my mom's side, when I was doing some book research, a photo of my great-grandmother in rural Minnesota in the 1870s and she's wearing this very polished looking coat and these high button boots and she has this big block headed black lab sitting at her feet and so i am obviously predetermined to have a lab yes it sounds like it that breed has been with you and your family throughout that's beautiful it has been baked in and i feel like they're probably angel dogs too like you and i probably both have a lot of angel labs following us around oh boy What was it like getting your first dog as an adult? Was that Woodrow? 
It was Woodrow, yes. So I got Woodrow in my early 30s. My then boyfriend, my then live-in boyfriend said, let's just go take a drive one day from downtown Boston to the Cape. And it was fall. So I thought we were just going sightseeing. And unbeknownst to me, he had found a lab breeder on the south shore of Boston. So we drive to this little farm. And of course, I was like, oh, my God, I want one. Like Nobody ever just goes to look at a puppy. No. Always come home with a puppy. So we came home with this puppy and I had thought growing up with labs, like, oh, I know labs. It's not going to be hard to do to train him, whatever. I had forgotten that I had grown up in a household of totally untrained labs who used to eat food off the top of their refrigerator, (laughs) drag my dad down the block on his stomach. Like literally it was like the Nantucket (laughs) sleigh ride watching that man walk a dog. And so I had to learn really quickly So I did a lot of reading and a lot of panic calling to friends who had dogs. It was a process. Oh, gosh. Yeah. I had a puppy as a kid, but I didn't have to, you know, I wasn't involved in the training. It's no joke having a puppy. And I'm not sure that, I mean, to me, like it was, it was an awakening. It is. I love awakening as a word for that. (laughs) It's such a gentle and generous term for the hell that is having a puppy. Yes. You forget how tough it is. It takes a minute, right? But then they're just the best companions. So your life when you got Woodrow, you're living and working in Boston and you're a writer. Tell me a little bit about your career. My career has been writing since I was four. And my dad was a news writer, a journalist who wrote for CBS and NBC, ABC, wrote for Walter Cronkite and Dan Rather and Harry Reasoner. And so my earliest memories are of the sound of his typewriter. And those of you who are over the age of like 30 know what a typewriter actually is, not just an app by Tom Hanks. And so I always wanted to be a writer like my dad. And when I first got Woodrow, I was just on the verge of publishing my first novel, Those Who Save Us. And living in this tiny postage stamp apartment on Beacon Hill, which is tough with a big dog and a live-in boyfriend. And over the course of the 15 years that I had Woodrow, I published three books and we moved across the public garden into the back bay, which is like the Mm -hmm. nouveau riche section of Austin. And so Woodrow was really with me for all of these changes in my career. He came with me to readings. He came with me on book tour. I have a Jeep that has 220,000 miles on it because I drove everywhere so I could take the dog. And he was just such a great companion and a joy. Getting me out of my head also was really important. So three times a day, I would have to take the dog out and walk him no matter what. And that's really a good thing for somebody who lives in her imagination. And what was it like the first couple of years with him? Did you guys have certain places that you would love to go to? What was your sort of day to day with Woodrow? We did. Great question. So I had just quit smoking then too. So obviously my life was like a bleep show at that point. And so I used to go running with Woodrow and Uh I lived on Beacon Hill in Boston then. And so I would take him down to the Esplanade, which is the pathway along the Charles River. And I would run him and he loved it because a dog's walking pace is the same as a human's running pace. So I have this very clear visual memory of him trotting just a few steps ahead of me with the tips of his ears flapping so happily. And because labs, when they're young, especially American field labs, which is what Woodrow was, like a taller, sort of lanky, very active lab, they're trained to hunt. And so he needed two hours of exercise a day, like hard exercise, just to be able to be happy like a tired dog is a happy dog so i would run him and then after that in the evening i would take him to the boston common where we have an off-leash unfenced 
dog park. So he needed oh, to be, you know, well-trained in recall. And he would run and play their full bore for an hour, chasing a tennis ball, chasing the other dogs, getting covered in mud, just as happy as could be. So I have very strong, happy Boston memories with young Woodrow in particular. And of course, we would take him to the surrounding beaches too in the off season when dogs could be off leash. Where does the name Woodrow come from? Woodrow, I'm glad you asked that. Everybody thinks Woodrow Wilson. Woodrow comes from one of my favorite novels, Lonesome Dove by Larry McMurtry, which is about Texas Rangers in the 1800s driving cattle from Texas to Montana to start the first ranch there. And one of the cowboys is a strong, silent type named Woodrow F. Call. And our dog growing up was named Gus after the other cowboy who is a real rascal, Gus McRae. And so when I got Woodrow, I said, okay, I'm going to continue the family tradition and name him Woodrow. And Woodrow was a strong, silent type. So he was really well-named and also did not tolerate fools gladly, just like his fictional namesake. So that's where the name comes from. Oh, interesting. Yeah. And you had mentioned how Woodrow was with you through so many different times and parts of your life. And I know that for myself. So tomorrow is the anniversary of a dog that I lost, Millie, who died a year ago. And each dog's passing certainly brings up different things. And Millie's passing was that she was with me through, again, so many different lifetimes. And one was losing my husband to cancer. And when she passed, you know, all these lifetimes flashed by. And so there's so much more to the companionship that we have with our dogs. And they see us through all of these beautiful and sometimes heartbreaking times and chapters of our life. That's a beautiful way to put it. I was just thinking about the chapters, and I'm so sorry for your losses. Oh, thank you. The dogs are the comfort through the losses, and they're also the keepers of memory, I think, that Woodrow similarly saw me through. Because we have our dogs almost as long as people have their children before the children go to college. If we're lucky, we have our dogs for that long. So inevitably, they're going to see us through some big milestones and probably some really big challenges. Woodrow saw me through that boyfriend, another boyfriend, a divorce Mm. and triumphs like getting my books published, which was so amazing. And I'm so grateful for that and also changed my schedule and my life really radically. And the year actually just not very long before Woodrow passed, my mom passed from breast cancer and Woodrow was getting very old then. And I remember coming home from one trip during which I had been helping my brother take care of her. And I looked at my dog who was on the floor and he's so creaky, you know, he had arthritis like many old labs and he was getting what we call the George Clooney gray and he was super gray. And I just got down on the floor with him and just howled like literally with the injustice of my dog being that old. And I knew I was going to lose my mom. And I just thought, please universe, I can't be the person who loses them both at the same time. Please grant me at least some time with my dog. Yes. And I did get that wish because he lived a year longer and I had against all odds, I might point out because he was 13 then, I think 13 and a half. And I had him until he was 15. So I had him for quite a while longer and I was very, very lucky to have his comfort and to have caring for him to bite down on in the yes. aftermath of losing my mom. So dogs, yes. I mean, I think he wouldn't leave me until he knew I was going to be relatively okay but the dogs are our shepherds in so many ways. They are. And I know that when my husband, John died, I mean, I had to show up for my dogs and I would bury my head in their fur sobbing, but I had to get, I had to show up for them and they kept me moving. So getting back to Woodrow, he was diagnosed with congestive heart failure at 14 and 
you mentioned that he was diagnosed not to live a long time, but he you actually had a, a fair amount of time, more than you thought. Woodrow lasted seven more months, not three weeks, not four weeks, but seven more months. And so in the book I wrote about this, Woodrow on the Bench, each chapter in that book, there are seven chapters, each one is a month that he lived after that wow. diagnosis. And what that month and what the dog taught me about how to live during that very tender passage. It was really a miracle that I had that time with him. And it was one of the most educational, bittersweet, poignant, amazing times of my life. The book, Woodrow on the Bench, is that your first memoir that you've written? It is my first memoir. And I always call it my memoir because I feel like there's something so Jaja Gabor about writing a (laughs) memoir about yourself. And I'm a novelist by trade. I have three novels prior to Woodrow. And I had never thought of or aspired to write a memoir because I thought, right. you know, what do I have to say about life that's going to help anybody through a difficult situation? That, that's why I read memoir. I, I actually love the genre. But I feel like each memoir is a torch holding up a path on a rocky road to show the reader how the writer got through that passage. Once I was sitting on the bench with Woodrow, I thought, oh. I think I do have a memoir in me because I don't know that anybody's ever written about this last chapter of a dog's life. And I would really like to help people through it and to describe what it's like so people know that they're not alone. And also to give a shout out, not only to the people who kept us company, which was so extraordinary, but also to my dog, who I love so much. Yes. And tell me about the bench. So the bench is across the street from our apartment in downtown Boston in the back bay. It's a couple blocks from the public garden. It's just an ordinary park bench. And the reason that we gravitated to it is it was the closest to our building. And I had to carry Woodrow at the end. He weighs 85 pounds. I had him in a harness called a help him up harness, which is an amazing outfit. Anybody who has a dog who's losing the strength in their legs, go to help him up. It's an amazing company saved us. So I would carry my dog up and down the stairs of our building every day and take him out to the Commonwealth Mall, which is a greenway on which the bench sits. And I would let him do his sniffs and do his business. And then he would hobble over to the bench and we would sit on the bench for hours and let him do his sniffs and kind of hold court. There are a lot of friends and neighbors in Boston who came to keep us company on the bench when they realized that we couldn't go anywhere. So they would come and sit with us in all weathers, like show us photos on their phone of like their kids' weddings, their parents going into assisted living, like everything that was going on that day, their dates, you know, whatever. And then we also had tourists walking up and down the mall because it's a tourist greenway. And then they would come and sit with us and they would come over and say, oh, can we pet your dog? And then stop and stay with us for literally hours telling us about their dogs, telling us about their lives. So the bench became this sort of lightning rod for community that all coalesced around my very elegant old dog. And we were never lonely. We were never without company on the bench. Wow, that's amazing. Do you have any examples of certain people that really stand out in your memory that you spent time with on this bench? Yes, I have many people who I could give shouts out to. One is my dear friend, Mary, who just moved to California with her old rescue dog, Lucy, who we called Miss Lucy. And Miss Lucy's (laughs) nickname was the Little Treat Hua because... Every day, Lucy would come and get treats from us and would not leave and took care of Woodrow, stayed with us. And Mary came and kept us company. She was a nurse. And so she was like this very steady, sturdy presence and told us all about her life and her kids and her patients. And she's amazing. We miss her. 
And on the other end of the dog spectrum was young Rizzo. So I have this beautiful friend named Jacqueline who looks like the girl from Impanima. She's tall and tan and young and lovely. She's a poetry MFA and she's a weightlifter. So when she came to the bench with her young black lab Rizzo, she would come and sit with us and tell us about her dating life. And so it was like, you know, we had like the bachelorette sitting on the bench with us. And Rizzo, who was one when Woodrow was 15, was like most puppies, we were just talking about this, big and clunky and like exuberant and way too energetic for his own good with these big catcher's mitt paws. And when he saw Woodrow, he was so gentle. He would put on the brakes and lie down with Woodrow in the dirt and whatever position Woodrow was in, Rizzo would also get in. So if Woodrow was in like a croissant shape, Woodrow would also get in that shape. If Woodrow was doing like lobster pose with his snout flat on the ground, Woodrow would also do that. And they would have these dialogues back and forth. Rizzo, who Jacqueline said sounded kind of like Mickey Mouse, would say, oh, how are you today, Grandpapa? And Woodrow would say, not bad, young Jedi, not bad. And they would have these conversations. <laughs> so we had a lot of dog parents come to us. We had the Boston Public Garden maintenance guy come check on us every single day, fist bump me, high five Woodrow. But this one extraordinary thing happened in the last week of Woodrow's life. I'm going to try to talk about this without crying. It was snowing. He was really struggling. He had just started to get that sort of faraway look in his eyes like he was looking through to the other side. And I knew his time was probably coming pretty soon. And I was still sitting with him on the bench in the snow, you know, working on my phone. My fingers are freezing and he like didn't want to get up out of the snow. And finally, it was snowing really hard. And I said, Woodrow, you know, we have to go in. Let's go in, old boy. And he couldn't get up. And I thought, I can't get him inside by myself. Like he really could not stand. I was having a terrible time lifting him. It was in the middle of this blizzard. And I was trying to figure out what do I do? Do I go inside and get like a sort of a blanket to make a sling to drag him back across the street? I mean, it was really a conundrum. And this woman came up to me out of the snow. She was a stranger. I'd never met her before. She was wearing a parka and a hat. I could see like only her eyes, you know. And she said, do you need some help with your dog? And I said no, and then I corrected myself because that was one thing Woodrow taught me to do, which was to ask for help. And I said, yes, actually, I could use some help. Thank you so much. And she helped me stand him up, and she held him up with his harness while I cleaned him up. And then because he was on his feet, I could help him get back across the mall to our apartment. And I turned around to thank her, and she was gone. So that was the kind of thing that happened with Woodrow. Like That was the kind of joy he brought into my life, like that sort of magic. Wow. Thank you for that. So tell me about post Woodrow and the concept of a new puppy. What getting a puppy taught me, and I would love to write about this as well, because I knew that I was a dog person and that I really needed to have a dog in my life. And so I got my new dog, what other people would consider too soon. And it was totally the right decision for me. So many of us got dogs during the pandemic because we needed love because we were home more. For me, I'm a writer. I was home exactly the same amount. And the pandemic, I was like, okay, now everybody dresses like writers. We all dress like crap. Yeah. Welcome to my world. Like we're all at home. Welcome to writer world. But for me, what getting a dog during the pandemic did was teach me that even in a time of challenge, in a time of political turmoil, in the wake of the George Floyd murder, when we had riots in downtown Boston, in the time when we couldn't talk to people, we had to wear masks, we had to isolate, we had to quarantine. I still drove across country to a breeder in Minnesota to get my dog and trained him out in Minnesota where I have a family house. 
And it showed me that no matter how difficult your life is, there is always room for joy in your life. There's always room for new love and silliness and all the things that dogs bring. I love it. And Jenna, where can we find you online and where can we find your book? My website is www.jennablum.com. You can find me on Instagram as Jenna Blum, Twitter as Jenna Blum, Facebook as Jenna Blum, TikTok as Jenna Blum, and also Woodrow on the bench. You can find it wherever fine books are sold, as they say, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Goodreads, which is one of my personal favorite, bookshop.org, which supports independent bookstores. So that's where I buy all of my books, actually. And Woodrow and Henry both have Instagram accounts and Facebook accounts and Twitter accounts. So if you want to know what Woodrow is thinking from beyond the great river really okay as woodrow on the bench on instagram facebook and twitter thank you jenna i so enjoyed speaking with jenna and was just really moved by the story of woodrow and their last days together i love that even when he couldn't go too far from their apartment in his old age he could still make it over to their special bench and enjoy that time with jenna together and just all of the people that would come by I totally get this, this incredible sense of community, and it really is something that dogs help to create for us. They create memories for us, and for Jenna and Woodrow, this is such a special, special story. Thank you for listening to this episode of Dog Save the People, a podcast about how dogs make our lives better. This show is made by, as it should be, a production company and content studio. It is made with the support of Scott Benaglio, executive producer, and Jack Summer, our producer and editor. Special thanks to Daniel Lampert, our neighbor and composer, for creating the music for the show. You can follow Dog Save the People on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you like the show, please leave a review on Apple Podcasts. You can also follow our show on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. To sign up for our monthly email newsletter, you can go to dogsavethepeople.com. On the website, you'll also find show merch in our online gift shop. This includes shirts from the Tiny Tim Rescue Fund, my foundation, where profits go to supporting independent rescues and shelters. If you have any questions or submissions, please drop a note to the email address bark at dogsavethepeople.com. New episodes come out every Tuesday, so see you next week for another episode from Dog Save the People. Enjoy a walk with your dog outside and make it a great day for both of you.